Thank you, and once again, good morning to students and teachers of the Word of God. We're still studying on the theological seminar of the air, the great, grand, and glorious Bible doctrines that deal with Christology. Our lesson today, we're dealing with the Ascension of Christ. Now, you understand these theological seminar broadcasts, we're dealing with what the Bible says about these matters, and not merely what it is presumed to teach. For this uh, reason, we never have a broadcast where we give less than 40 verses of Scripture and all the verses that deal with a particular subject under question. Uh, the hop, skip, and jump rabbit method, the jackrabbit method of trying to prove a doctrine or a heresy by taking eight or nine verses out of context is the obscene and blasphemous vulgar way that most Bible doctrine is handled these days. We do not subscribe to this approach. After all, you can make the Bible prove anything if you just mess with it enough. I think anybody knows that. I could take a reference from Ecclesiastes 3, saying there's a time to kill and a time to dance. I take a, could take a reference from Job, saying uh, the tabernacles of robbers prosper, and they that provoke God are secure. And combine these with a verse from Malachi that says, They that tempt God are happy, and the wicked are delivered. And I would have a good, sound, scriptural church, which would be based on hell. Now, I only say that because the average person in America is such a Bible ignoramus. When I mean that, I mean the average church-going, professing Christian, that you can pull almost anything off on him. Some of the people who quote the most scripture in America are some of the biggest heretics that ever lived. I've known people who put out a tract with 35 verses in it that dealt with baptism, and not one time did the tract writer ever tell the reader the context of one single verse that was quoted. So on these broadcasts, we give you what the Scriptures say about a subject and then call to your attention the context in which they appear. After all, you cannot make intelligent, uh, make intelligent uh, meaning or uh, application from the Word of God unless you learn to ask yourself, first of all, who is speaking, and number two, to whom is he speaking? Now, we're dealing with a comparatively simple subject today, the Ascension of Christ which, of course, is believed by all Orthodox uh, Christians professing of any nature, <laughs> and yet profession is no guarantee, of course, of the new birth. Uh, James says the devils believe in God and tremble. Simon the sorcerer believed and was baptized, was in the gall of bitterness, the bond of iniquity, and, of course, the treasure of the first church was a devil. So belief in the fundamental is no guarantee that a person is a Christian. However, in dealing with theological subjects from the person and worth of Christ, we would have to have a lesson devoted to the ascension of Christ, which is one of the main doctrines that deal with his present state. The life of Jesus Christ can be told as four great miracles, the incarnation, the resurrection, the ascension, and the second coming. Those are the four main parts of his life. Now today we study the third of these miracles, the ascension. The ascension is that event in which Christ departed visibly and returned to heaven in Acts chapter 1. I think all of you know your Bibles, know that he went up one time and came back at John chapter 20, but when we speak of the ascension, we're not referring to the temporary ascension in John 20, where he would not let Mary touch him and then let the disciples touch him uh, in less than two hours later, showing that he'd gone up and returned in that space of time. But we're talking about the permanent ascension, the one that's permanent at least until the second coming. Now, Christ came to this earth as a humble baby. He left this earth as the exalted conqueror. When his earthly work was complete, he entered into his heavenly ministry of preparing the mansions and the high priestly work of intercession. In Acts chapter 1, we read about these matters. 
beginning at verse 9, when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. The description then can be summarized in two words. That is, he ascended visibly and bodily. Now, this ascension was prophesied and taught throughout the entire Bible. In Psalm 68:18, we read, Thou hast ascended on high, thou hast led captivity captive. In Psalm 110, verse 1, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thine enemies thy footstool. In Luke 9, 5, it came to pass from the time of come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. In John 6.62, Christ said, What is it you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? Jesus said, I go to my Father, and my Father is greater than I. Jesus said to Mary, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend. Now the Old Testament spoke of it, and Jesus taught it freely, this matter of his ascension, therefore the corrupt new Bibles that uh, deny the ascension, Luke 24, verse 51 to 52, are not to be promoted or tolerated or condoned by anybody who believes the Word of God. We realize that Christian colleges and universities may uh, recommend these blasphemous publications, but after all, they're trying to prove primarily that they are the final authority instead of the Word of God, so you may ignore their faculty members' teachings about these matters. The contemporary baloney being put out by the Christian colleges and universities is that if you can find the doctrine of the ascension or the doctrine of the virgin birth or the doctrine of the deity of Christ somewhere in a Bible, that that Bible is reliable even though it may attack the doctrine in another place. Now, that is the contemporary uh, red party baloney being put out by fundamental Christian colleges and universities in America today. They are teaching, for example, that the new ASB is a reliable translation even where it attacks the ascension, because in one or two places it doesn't attack the ascension. Now, this peculiar type of uh, mental twist is something new in Christianity, but you'll have to face it. In Luke 24, verse 51 and 52, all the older manuscripts have been rejected by all the so-called new Bibles, and all the men who profess to be basing these new Bibles on older manuscripts simply lied to you. The five oldest documents in the world in Luke 24, verse 51 to 52, read as the King James. And the contemporary lying, corrupt baloney put out by faculty members is that the new Bibles are based on older manuscripts. Don't you believe it, son, for a minute. Luke 24, 51 and 52, dealing with the ascension, has been changed in every new version of the market, and the change is not based on the oldest manuscripts at all. As a matter of fact, it's based on one corrupt unfill. Now the ascension was prophesied and taught in the scriptures, and although the disciples didn't understand it any more than they understood the precious truths of his death, burial, and resurrection, they came to experience it. The ascension occurred 40 days after the resurrection. First, in the first place, the Lord Jesus Christ delayed going back to the Father to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that he had actually risen from the dead. This was essential for the establishment of faith of the believers. Therefore, there wasn't any quick fly-by-night appearance like you read about in Greek mythology and Roman mythology 
and the Babylonian Chinese nonsense. Here's a man who lived historically, died historically, was seen by 500 witnesses, and then kept up his testimony for 40 days so there couldn't be any possible misapprehension about the matter. He tied in order to give the disciples more instructions on the Christian faith. In the post-resurrection period, Jesus was able to explain much of his past teaching in the light of that which occurred, his own death, burial, and resurrection. So in Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, we read in the authorized text, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. Now, if it's infallible, it's absolute dogmatic authority that cannot be denied or abrogated, and so you will find all the new Bibles have taken the word infallible out of Acts 1-3. When I say the new Bibles, I mean the first 54 you pick up. There are 54 translations in the market, including the so-called living Bible, which is not a Bible but a paraphrase, and it's not living either. Uh, Madison Avenue Advertising has all kinds of ways of pulling things off these days, you know. And we have such uh, productions of the ASV, the new ASV, the RSV, the new RSV, the International Bible, the Jerusalem Bible, the New English Bible, the Good News for Modern Man, the Cotton Patch Version, Weymouth, Moffat, Goodspeed, Berkeley, Centennial, Montgomery, the New World Translation, and the other 35. Now, these corrupt publications have all taken the word infallible out of Acts chapter 1, verse 3. And again, the thinking behind recommending the trash is that if you can find the resurrection mentioned somewhere in these Bibles, it's perfectly all right to attack a verse somewhere that deals with the resurrection. This twisted type of mental uh, flip-flop, this sort of a bugs, bananas, ape type of uh, exegesis, is what is being taught at every major Christian university and college in America today. They're telling the gullible sucker who paid his money to come there that it is perfectly all right to attack the ascension in Luke 24 and the resurrection in Acts 1 and the blood atonement in Colossians 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 14, as long as somewhere else in the Bible the matters are mentioned. Now, nobody knows exactly where this sick type of Mickey Mouse exodus came from, but it is a standard diet being handed out, as I said before, by every major Christian college and university in North America. If you don't believe it, go talk to the faculty members. Now, don't give me a hard time, okay? I mean, these messages all on tape, if you want to accuse me of slander and take me to court, these messages all on tape, and you can uh, get copies of them. All you have to do is write Park 6035 here in Pensacola, Florida, and we can send you a tape copy of the broadcast. We document what we say. Instead of getting mad at some good radio man who has enough courage to broadcast the truth, uh, get mad with me. I'm the guilty culprit. If you don't be the new Bible to pack Acts 1, 3, and Luke 24, 51 to 52, and Colossians 1, 14, call my hand. I got four aces and a joker. Now, the manner of the ascension. In Luke 24, 51, it came to pass while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. This is the verse that has been changed in the new Bibles, where the words, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven, are missing. We also have the new Bibles omitting the first half of verse 52, where it speaks about them worshiping Jesus Christ. So the new Bibles, recommended by anybody at any fundamental school or institution, have quietly attacked the ascension in verse 51 and the deity in verse 52 out of the lame alibi that since the Bible speaks of the ascension and the deity of Christ in other places, 
it's perfectly all right to attack it in these two places. Now, as we said before, this is a sick type of thinking, which is a little hard to reconcile with what we call uh, sanity, but it goes on quite regularly. Jesus Christ is now seated at the right hand of the Father. For Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20, we read, He's no longer in the grave. Instead, we read that Jesus Christ was set at God's right hand in the heavenly places. In Acts 7, 56, this was said to be a literal place. For Stephen said, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. The ascension was visible, not a secret. It was seen and witnessed by the apostles. Jesus Christ left personally, visibly, and bodily, and we are told in like manner he will return in the second advent to this earth. Now, there's a great necessity for the Bible doctrine of the ascension, or, of course, it wouldn't have been put in the Word of God in a number of places. In the first place, heaven was Christ's home. <clears throat> and it was logical that when his work was complete, that he would return home again. In John 14:28, he said, I go unto the Father. Prophecy had to be fulfilled. He said he would return to the Father, and he did. The divine plan was that the Holy Spirit would not come to indwell believers until after the ascension of Christ. Therefore, the ascension had to precede Pentecost. In John 16, 7, Jesus said, It is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. The ascension of Christ, therefore, was a prerequisite for his further work in preparing mansions. In John 14, 20, uh, 14, 2 and 3, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Now, it would have been wonderful if Jesus could have lived on earth forever in his post-resurrection power, but that wasn't the plan of God for the church. The plan of God for the church was for the Holy Spirit to uh, come and draw the believer so that believers could scatter out all over the earth and do what the Lord wanted done worldwide. Jesus' ascension had to complete the redemptive work that was required. John 20, verse 16 and 17. Jesus' ascension enabled his followers to do the promised greater works. John 14, 12. Jesus ascended to enter into the ministry of intercession at God's throne. And we'll talk about that on our next broadcast. Jesus' ascension makes his ministry worldwide, not localized in Palestine. Notice in Matthew 28, 18. Therefore, the ascension becomes a strong proof and an explanation of the resurrection body which we talked about on the previous broadcast. Now, the purpose of the ascension. The Lord Jesus Christ, in the first place, ascended to glorify the Father. He said in John 17, 1, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. He also ascended to become a prince and a savior to Israel, according to Acts 5, 31. The Lord Jesus Christ ascended as a forerunner, opening the pathway for us. We read in Hebrews 6, 20, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus. So he's the author and finisher of our faith, and he is also the runner who went ahead of us and prepared the track. Jesus ascended to prepare our heavenly abode in John 14, 2, to be our high priest, Hebrews 9, 21, and to take his appropriate place at the right hand of God in glory, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12 to 13. Furthermore, the Lord Jesus Christ is the only person who ever ascended we know from reading our Bibles that <clears throat> Moses was taken up after he died, Jude verse 9, Deuteronomy 34. We know that Elijah was caught up by a chariot of fire and the horses of fire into heaven by a whirlwind, 2 Kings chapter 2. 
and we know that Enoch was translated that he should not see death. Genesis chapter 5, Hebrews chapter 11. But the word of sin means to go up under your own power. And we read in Isaiah chapter 14, the devil said, I will ascend. And God's comment to Lucifer in the passage was, Thou shall be brought down to hell to the side of the pit. Now the Lord Jesus Christ said to Nicodemus, No man hath ascended into heaven at any time, nobody except the Son of Man which is in heaven. John 3.13. So you will find the last half of John 3.13 taken out of all the new so-called Bibles, which might better be called the theological flapdoodles of religious age gone mad on mythology and legend. The Lord Jesus Christ professed to be seated in heaven while he was talking with Nicodemus on this earth. And half of this verse in John 3.13 has been removed from the ASV and the new ASV. Exactly it was removed from every Bible published by the National Council of Christian Churches. We are not criticizing or condemning. We are stating facts that can be proved in court. I want that clearly understood. On this broadcast, when we say that the ASV and the new ASV has omitted the verse that deals with the omnipresence of Christ in John 3.13, we are not criticizing the publication. We are simply saying that's a fact. If you don't believe it, lump it. <coughs> lump it. I mean, if you don't like it, lump it. If you don't believe it, you're up a tree without a, a way to get down because that's what the new Bible says. They attacked the ascension in Luke 24:51. They attacked the deity in Luke 24:52. They attacked the resurrection in Acts 1:3, and they attacked the omnipresence of Christ in John 3:13. Now, if you don't believe it, instead of being a crackpot nut and a bigoted, dogmatic, didactic, fanatical extremist, buy a copy and read it. Now, it is true the. Uh, Government regulations have prevented the truth from being broadcast or nationwide anymore, all of the truth. That's very true. However, still in America, a man has the liberty to read. I would suggest, therefore, that you buy a copy of any Bible that came from anybody and check John 3.13 that deals with the matter of ascending into heaven. And in this broadcast, we're studying the biblical doctrine of the ascension and see how the verse has been mutilated by all the new Bibles. If you find one Bible where it's not been mutilated, I'd be glad to apologize publicly and mention the Bible that has not mutilated the text. And while I'd be at it, I would also call to your attention the other 30 passages that have been mutilated in the Bible that doesn't mutilate John 3.13. After all, the Vatican and Sinaitic text from which the new Bibles come has 5,000 alterations in the New Testament, which is nearly one perverse. We have a common standard mythological legendary baloney being put out by colleges and universities that the variations between the manuscripts only amount to a change of about one word every 20 pages. And you couldn't hatch a bigger lie if you went back to the Third Reich and listened to Goebbels in 1940 or went to Pravda or Taft. No lie could be more monstrous. There are more than 500 changes in the new Bibles with the authorized text, there are more than 500 changes in Matthew's gospel alone. All right, the results of the ascension. <clears throat> in the first place, Christ gave gifts to men, Ephesians 4, 8. 
because he ascended, the Holy Spirit descended. Acts 2.33. By ascending, he demonstrated that the sins were purged by sitting down, showing completed action. We read in Hebrews 1.3, when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down on the right hand of God. Now, this is very significant in view of the fact that throughout the Old Testament, when the tabernacle was standing, the priests who ministered in the tabernacle could never sit. Clearly indicating their work was never finished. While there was no place to sit down there on the altar of burnt offering, you'd have burned your bushes to a scorch. You couldn't sit down on the brazen labor. You'd have drowned in it. You couldn't have sat down on the table of showbread. It had a gold crown around it that would have poked some holes in you. You couldn't have sat down on the altar of incense so the candlestick would have burned you or God would have killed you. And when the priest waited on the tabernacle in the Old Testament, he walked and walked and stood and stood and walked and waited and waited and walked and stood, but there's one thing he couldn't do. He couldn't sit. This high priest, when he finished the blood atonement, sat down. Hebrews 1, 3. Clearly indicating our salvation is finished. And so we have hundreds and thousands of people up and down the country teaching your salvation is not finished and trying to make you think that because Paul should work out your salvation, that your salvation was not finished. Now, these are the kind of people that pervert the Word of God by refusing to quote the context. For the context of work out your salvation with fear and trembling was, for it is God that worketh in you. The salvation was complete, and it was placed inside you. You're simply to work out what God has worked in. It is finished. And if it wasn't finished, the high priest wouldn't have sat down. Because Christ ascended, we can now come boldly to him in prayer. Hebrews 4, verse 14 to 16. Because he ascended, he can now say to the uttermost, all those that come unto God by him, in Hebrews 7, 25, that is, he can lift the sinner from the cesspool of sin to the highest heaven to be with himself. Or as the man has said, from the guttermost to the uttermost. His presence in the heavenly has caused us to draw near with a true heart, quote, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. Hebrews 10, 22. The Lord Jesus Christ, therefore, now stand in the portals of heaven, beckoning us to look unto him, Hebrews 12, 2, because he stands at the goal at the end of the journey, and like Paul said, the mark for the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, positionally, the Christian has already ascended in the Spirit. He is seated with Jesus Christ today in the heavenly places. In Ephesians 2, 6, we read, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I was talking with a water dog the other day, that's a Campbellite, and he was giving this nonsense, you know, about not knowing where you're going to go till you die, you know. You know the old pagan nonsense that came over from North Africa with Augustine and Jerome. And I said, well, I know where I'm going. I'm already gone to heaven. He said, you can't know you're going to heaven till you're dead. I said, son, I'm in heaven right now. He couldn't understand that. He had the worst time of that. I mean, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. Now, did not old bathtub proponent ever read, quote, God hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus? It's amazing how some of these bathtub babies have such a terrible time with the Word of God. Don't they know the Bible teaches that the born-again believer is in Christ, and Christ is in him, and he's part of Christ's bone and flesh? 
Ephesians 5, and part of his body, 1 Corinthians 12, and has already been raised up and gone home to glory, because he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit, and the Christian is in heavenly places in Christ. People do have a time with their Bible, don't they? I mean, imagine a man trying to prove you can go to hell after you're saved by quoting Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 10 and 2 Peter 2 and 2 Peter 3, when the clear doctrinal statements and salvation teach the Christian has already gone on home to heaven. The only part of you that remains down here is your body. Your soul is still stuck in your body, but your spirit is one. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit, joined with Christ, and you are present tense up there with him. Why, we're even told to come bold into the throne of grace because we're already in the throne room. Or as the Lord said in Ephesians, accepted in the beloved. The Lord Jesus Christ ascended that he might fill all things. We read in Ephesians 4.10, He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And Simon Peter said he's gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. His ascension became a coronation. That is, having ascended, angels, authorities, and powers are now subject unto him. Ascension then becomes one of the six articles of the mystery of godliness in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. In that famous passage attacked by all the new Bibles, 1 Timothy 3, 16, read one of those articles was the ascension the going back, or the return to heaven. We read 1 Timothy 3.16, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached of the Gentiles, believed on in the world. Number six, received up into glory. And for that reason, 1 Timothy 3.16 has been attacked in all the new Bibles. If you don't believe it, don't act like a little spoiled brat and kick the slats out of your crib and go around threatening and hollering like a madman. Buy you one and read it. Nothing like the media reading to kill a bigot, wouldn't you say? First Timothy 3.16 says God was manifest in the flesh. That isn't what the new ASB says. That isn't what the ASB says. That isn't what the RSB says. That isn't what the International Bible says. That is what the Jerusalem Bible says. That is what the American Bible says. These new Bibles take out the deity of Christ in 1 Timothy 3.16 just like they'd slap off your head with an axe and still call themselves Bibles because of the crippling and lame alibi and the stupid alibi that somewhere in the book you can find a verse that does back up the deity of Christ. Why buy a chameleon and a skunk and a bat that fights on both sides when you can get a pure, white, spotless lamb, hmm? I mean, if you get a dollar bill out of the bank, why not get it out of there instead of the bottom of the trash can? I grant you can find a diamond necklace in a sewer. That doesn't mean a sewer is a jewelry store. I grant you the new so-called Bibles may have the fundamentals somewhere in them. What does that prove? Monkey shines? Now, finally, because of the exaltation of Jesus Christ, one day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. For Philippians 2.9 says, God hath highly exalted him and given a name, given him a name that is above every name. If you're a Christian, your job is clear. You're to worship and serve this Lord Jesus Christ, who defied the laws of gravity and ascended bodily 
and was the only man who ever ascended up under his own power. Moses was taken up by Michael the archangel, Jude 9, after he was dead. Elijah had to have horses and chariots of fire for his transportation. Enoch was translated. God caught him up and picked him up. But the Lord Jesus Christ went up absolutely under his own power without re-entry capsule, time machines, anti-gravitational devices, Houston Space Center, or any other of the modern, depraved, godless scientific nonsense and claptrap going on in the world today as man tries to ascend without the new birth. The devil said, I will ascend and put my throne above the stars of God. That is, he said, I'll go up in my own power. And the Lord said, Thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. My friend, the way up is the way down. The way down is the way up. If you want to get beyond Venus and Jupiter, the way to do it is down on your face, on your knees, before the Son of God. And if you want God to knock you down to the bottomless pit with your father the devil, then try to get up under your own power. For the only one who said, I will ascend, I will put my throne above the stars of God in the Bible, was Lucifer. Isaiah 14. He's going to be brought down to hell. And the blessed Son of God who rose bodily and went back said, I go to prepare a place for you. Therefore, he is the way, the truth, and the life. May the Lord bless you, and good day.